Welcome to episode 47 of the Camerosity Podcast, the world's one and only open source film photography podcast. My name is Mike Ekman, and we're back for another episode. Two weeks ago, we went digital, and boy, was that fun. Before we go on to this week's topics, let's do some introductions. First up, from Sydney, Australia, the man who pays more for shipping than the cameras he buys is Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. Have you ever considered moving back to a country with more old cameras to buy, Theo? I've considered it, but uh, the family doesn't really consider that as a very good excuse to change countries and live somewhere else. Next, from Gainesville, Florida, fresh back from a trip to Montreal, is Mr. Anthony Rue. Did you get your fill of poutine and Tim Hortons? Skip the Tim Hortons had some amazing poutine. And finally, from Yellow Springs, Ohio, owner of Paul's Bits, Bob's, Lotions and Potions eBay store is Dr. Paul Rebel. How has your supply of Bits and Bob's been lately? The Bits and Bob's are flying off the shelves. Lotions and unguents are a little slow movers, though. Yeah, I want to know what kind of lotion you have. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, like I said before, uh, we did the digital episode two weeks ago. It was a ton of fun, as has been the case for the past couple episodes. We've been overwhelmed with the feedback from you guys. Uh, The numbers have been looking great. Record numbers of people tuning in. We really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. Uh, This week, we're going to do something a little different. Um, The theme for today's episode is uh, cameras that have a strap. Um, The idea being ones that are always in shooting order that you're ready to take off at a moment's notice, uh, your favorite cameras, whatnot. Uh, Before we start getting into that discussion, though, we have a few people in the waiting room. Let's let them in. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, We have a full house once again. Lots of returning callers. Uh, I see one person that I don't believe has been on the show before. Um, Alex Dietrich. Welcome back, Alex. Great to be here. Bill Smith. Good to see you, Bill. Hey, how's it going? Right. Patrick Casey, you're back again, too. Welcome back, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, Miles Lieback is in the house. Hey, Miles. Hey, good to see you. Hang on. What are you drinking, Miles? Uh, I got a Willet pot still bourbon tonight. Ooh, ooh, nice, <laughs> very nice bourbons. Excellent, Mark Falk. You're welcome, Mark. Hey, everyone. And uh, what looks like a new caller, Brian McDonald. Good to see. Welcome. You. Where are you calling from, Brian? I'm calling from Cork in Ireland. Oh, excellent. All right. Exciting. We have uh, an overseas caller. So middle of the night for you. Um, yep. Have you have I seen you've posted in the Facebook group a couple times but have you been listening for a while yeah for for quite a while yeah a couple of years anyway well welcome yeah thank you are you in cork city or cork county Uh, i work in the city but i live in cork county i spent a lot of time in kinmare all right lovely part of the world just on the corner of cork and Kerry. that's about that's about an hour away from me and just to ruin your little party i've been to dingle quite often but probably the wrong county no well it's it's uh it's all right dingle is uh Dingle is is the ultimate tourist town. Well, it is now, but when I first went there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Does anybody want to kick it off? I will. I got my this is this is my wife's camera. And it's it's one that always has a strap on it. And uh one that she used uh Ooh. extensively. Uh original Fuji uh six forty-five. It was the GS, which the GS. is standard, standard uh 75 millimeter 3.4 lens and this camera i think she got it she bought it from our store and i think it was 1985 she got a uh, discount 
She got it. Uh, she got. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she got a, a very nice discount. Um, and what's odd about it is the thing is still perfect. The shutter speeds are right on. That was one second. The uh, rangefinder lines up. The bellows. One of these cameras are notorious for uh, for falling apart, and this one has just been just been great. So that's her camera, and it has the original Fuji strap on it. So it's uh, it's ready very ready cool. to roll. How do they compare to the the more modern ones with the the bull bar type thing at the front uh, in terms of quality? Because I've only ever used that one. Those were, you know, they were they were just different. That's all. The the, the usually the ones with the roll cages had uh, a wider angle lens on them, but this one because it folded flat was was much more uh, transportable. And we were traveling a lot back then, so her uh, her two cameras that she traveled with was a. Uh, uh, Plabel Makina 67 and uh and the Fuji. Uh one was six by seven, one was six forty-five, but uh those were those were her two shooter cameras. What lens is on the six four five? Uh that's a sixty-five millimeter, actually a seventy-five millimeter three point four. Yeah, I've got the wider one. You're right. The ones with the roll cage uh, t- do tend to be yeah. wider. And, they were, uh, they were got, got wider. the wide one. Yeah. They had ones with sixty millimeter, and then there was the really wide ones, which were forty-five. Yeah, I've got the 60. I shot the autofocus, um, the GA645W, and I really liked it. Um, being able to fit that much space in the frame and still shoot medium format was pretty cool to me. Um, I do kind of wish, though, Paul, I had a chance to shoot one of the older ones, so like the one you had there, because as nice as the GA models, A is the autofocus ones, in a weird way, it almost made it too much like a point and shoot camera. Um, like I, it, I don't know. It like sort of like took away a part of the experience for me. Even though I love the images that I got from it, I just felt like I had just a point and shoot autofocus camera. Just it, I, I didn't. I feel like I didn't appreciate it like I might have with the one you have there. She actually had one of those, and uh, and she didn't like it at all for the same for that same reason. It was too yeah. automatic. Yeah, it's like two of them. And I was like freaking out. I've as that is the only roll film camera I've ever used that automatically loads film. And that was just weird. It was DX coded as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. It uses uh it detects some kind of stripes yeah. that Fuji. Oh, I think only Fuji film had it though. I yeah. don't think it yeah, worked with um just, just Fuji. Yeah. You, so you, it was you know the 680 has that as well. Uh, but I don't think you're gonna be putting a strap on the 680. No. <laughs> is there a strap that works on the 617 there is I, and it, it comes with the strap and you know I, I, I wasn't going to bring that up because i know it's a, a sore spot with with paul <laughs> uh but that is one of the cameras that is always going to have a strap on it no you said that was your wife's though paul what about you well mine is is more modern it's the uh the plub l 69w pro shift i bought this from uh Von Cabbage. You know, I bought it and I thought I wanted it. And then I thought I didn't want it. And then I shot a roll film through it and I realized I really needed it. So it's, uh, it is now in the permanent collection. And, you know, when you talk about cameras that, that you put a strap on, to me, it isn't whether it's a camera that you really want to use. It's not a camera that you, you like it because it's a camera, but because of what it does. The fact that this one is a 16, a six by nine, which is my favorite format. And it's a 47 millimeter lens. So it's a wide angle on a big negative. So it's tilt it, and shift. It, well, and, I, and I'll probably never use the tilts and shifts. I mean, they're there if I ever wanted to, but that that for what I do, it's more it's more straight shooting. So I probably won't 
won't make any difference to me. But but uh, the fact that it's a really sharp wide angle lens on a big negative was was the uh, the main reason for it. You know, you bring up a good point. Um, I think the obvious thing people think of when they think of a camera that's always in ready position is something that is just an excellent camera, right? I mean, there's certain models of cameras that I think we all can agree on are, are better than others or, or or more appealing. But you might even say, though, that you want to have a camera ready to go that does something that others can't, you know, something that's unique, you know, the the, the shifts or a, a, a unique aspect ratio or something that maybe something doesn't always have. Because like for me, uh, or anybody that has, you know, let's just say more than 50 cameras, let's just say, um, there's so many cameras that have duplicate features, you know, as great as the Nikon F3 is, there's so many other cameras that can shoot the same kinds of images or use the same kind of lenses, or has the same list of features or something like that. But there aren't as many six by 17 cameras, or there aren't as many, um, you know, square format 35 millimeter cameras or something along those lines, too. So I think, that for people with you know medium to large collections, you may have the camera that's always like your go-to, like 35 millimeter, or your go-to six by six roll film camera. But then there's also going to be those that do something that's different or you know can get you a type of image you can't otherwise get. I have one that can do something that not many cameras can get to, but I want to save it for a little bit later because you guys are going to just think I'm bragging. So I'll save that <laughs> for later. Um, Patrick. I'm going to yes. let's I'm going to call out. Do you have um, a camera you know that's what? always at the ready? All right. Uh, if you want to talk straps, uh, I've got this uh, uh, M4 and this has one of the best straps I've seen in my life because no force is going to dis, you know disconnect that from the camera. One of the best designs. I don't think this was uh, I think this was an aftermarket, but it is a. Uh, 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 a Leica or a lights uh, strap. So if you're just talking straps plus a camera I use a lot, that would be the M4. If you want to talk camera I use a lot, but there's no uh, straps at all, this uh, Minox uh, 35GL, uh, uh, because it always was in my pocket. And it was always fascinating. You know, I know what you mean about too much automation. This, I think, has the perfect amount. It's got uh, exposure automation, but it's manual focus. And it's a 35 millimeter lens. So that's, you know, so you, uh, and it's aperture priority. You set the uh, aperture, it chooses a shutter speed. And it's accurate enough for Kodachrome uh, uh, or Ektachrome these days. Uh, so this doesn't quite meet the, the, the test of, of, of strap, but, but this was a literal pocket camera. I mean, it's hard to find, you know, in the, you know, this is, this is actually almost, well, it's not smaller than an iPhone, but, but so for straps, this guy, uh, for camera, I use all the time, this one. Do you guys, or does anybody here have, I say this sometimes in my reviews, um, I call them like zoo cameras. And what I mean by that is the camera that for those of us with kids, you know, we're going to take where you just want to have a camera that you don't have to think a lot about. It's small, it's compact, it's easy to use, it's unobtrusive. Uh, you might keep it in the glove compartment of your car or uh, a bag maybe that you carry all around. Does, does everybody have a camera like that for when they still want to shoot pictures? Yeah, a couple people holding up some stuff. Yeah, um, I've, I've got the uh, Nikon L35AF. I find that, yeah, you know, I keep that yeah. in a bag. I'm like not quite at the point where I can leave a, a camera in the yeah. glove box here. It gets too hot in Sydney. But uh, it's um, it's it's ready to go. 
It's got the beautiful sonar lens on it. Yeah. Uh, it uh, is it's automatic. Um, it auto focuses and um, it just produces absolutely wonderful, wonderful pictures. So that's that's probably my camera with a strap in terms of having just available for snapshots, family pictures, yeah, you know, picnic, all those kind of things. Um, and at the same time, is a fantastic camera to carry around and through the streets and take pictures of of um, various things um, which are not family orientated as well. So that's the first Nikon autofocus 35 millimeter, yes. right? Yeah, you you had yes. mentioned um, the sonar. That was the only one that had that lens. Yeah. They, I, yeah. I think the replacement to that model, they went down to a Tessar style. They did, they did, which is why I specifically went for this one. Um, one of the one of the weak points of these cameras is the, and a lot of the cameras are that vintage, um, compacts at least, is the battery compartment um, tends to be broken. This one seems to be okay, but once you get batteries in, it seems to sort of be a little bit, you know, unstable. So I usually put a bit of duct tape under there um, just to hold it in place. Uh, that camera sure don't break it off that camera has a nickname in japan they refer to it as the pikachi pikaichi yes. pikaichi top yes. notch it translates to top notch so it was you know something i've learned um in researching nikon is they're one of those companies that rarely did anything first in fact if you look at the nikon rangefinders you look at the nikon f slr uh even their um their more modern SLRs like the FE and FM, very rarely did they ever do anything first or even on time. <laughs> they always waited, you know, they always observed. And you could, in a way, you could kind of say they're doing the same thing now with the digital mirrorless. It's like they're, they don't get ahead of the game. They kind of wait and see what works or they take their time with development. So when that camera, um, the L35 came out, it was as much quality as you could put in a fully automatic point and shoot 35 millimeter camera. So now prices on those are through the roof now. Is that, is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I was lucky. I got mine before the curve started going upwards, but they are, they are not cheap now. Um, especially the sonar versions, the, yeah. uh, people have gotten onto those and, uh, and previously people were going for the more newer ones because you know why wouldn't you but as soon as it started becoming obvious the sonar lens made a difference uh that the prices have flipped there are two versions of it too theo the one that goes to i believe asa 400 and the other one goes to a thousand yeah that was right around the time when it was that was the switch yeah kodak came out with what was it vr 1000 in like 84 maybe 85 yeah so i right. think that was the the push from the 1000 1,000. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the later version. That, yeah. Those sell for a premium even over the other one. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> if you want one of the earlier Nikon point and shoots, it doesn't have the five element sonar, but the one touch AF3 was the third version of that camera. Um, it's still very, very good. Uh, it still has an actual focus ring for attaching filters. It still has Nikon's excellent auto exposure system that they had in those cameras. Um, I've shot that camera too and got wonderful results from it. Again, it's not the sonar, but um, I, I consider it kind of a good consolation for the for the early point and shoot, still with a relatively fast prime. Um, to be honest with you, most from that era, the Japanese autofocus 
prime lens, you know, first generation cameras, Ricoh, Canon, um, Pentax, a lot of them were very good. They made really good images. The problem we're finding though, is the electronics aren't holding up on some. Uh, the Nikons mm. do seem to survive better than others. Um, I don't know that anybody's done a real big study into like which models last longer, but you definitely have to be careful with those. Um, I have the Pentax, I can't remember what it's called, PC35 AF. It seems like every company used combinations of 35 AF and some kind of letter or something in their name. But um, there you go. That's it. Gosh, Theo, it's almost it's almost like Theo and I are in the same room. <laughs> I love that camera too. It's a great camera. And that always has a strap because usually people don't take it off. So Brian, I saw you holding up a camera and maybe shaking it and listening to it. I, I hope that yeah. was a uh, Minolta talker. It's a, a Shinon Auto 3001. Oh, okay. And I, I got it um, accidentally. I was trying to buy an XA and the seller kindly told me that he just discovered some haze in the XA lens. And he started showing me lots of different other cameras he had. And I ended up buying this, even though it's much bigger than an XA. It's more like a brick, but um, it's got a 35 um, 2.8 lens. And of all the cameras I now own, the results from this, all they, they just always exceed my expectations every time I um, put a roll through it. Um, and I'm mostly shooting HP5 in it, and the results are just incredible. Um, so that's my Zoo camera, um, mainly because, speaking of straps, it, ca it came with a very long strap that goes through the battery compartment um, door, and it seems too long to put around your neck. And yeah, it's just too long to hold carefully. So I took it off and I just put on a generic wrist strap and because I've dropped it three times recently. That's why I was doing that because I can hear it wrapped something loose. And I've glued on a couple of panels that came off um, very badly. Um, you'd be horrified if you could see the glue coming in, into the LCD screen. But um, it's um, it's a fantastic camera. Um, so it's the one I care less about, but um, the results are fantastic. I'm trying to remember that one, Brian. Was that that was autofocus? Yes, it's 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 got a really nice '80s uh, front on it. You can see it says multifocus. Okay, so right. Brian, you had some new technology that it sends out lots of different beams and can detect yep. where this subject is, um, and it's got that really nice clamshell and the little finger um, thing there, but. Um, and it sounds it's I, I tell people it sounds like a robot winking in a 1980s movie. That's what it sounds like when it takes a, a picture. So um, very 80s, but really capable. That's very cool. I, I've never seen one before. I've never seen one in person either. But when you held it up, it, it rang, rang a bell because I've seen one like in research before. And that came out around the time Shinon was building cameras for Kodak. And I believe there's a Kodak version of that camera, too. Uh, oh, really? when they were okay. putting those huge flip up uh, flashes on it. Um, I don't have that exact one you do, but I reviewed a model a couple of years back called the VR 35 K 14. There's also a K 12 and a K 10. Those are all shin on cameras too, that are very similar to the one that you just pointed out there. And um, I have the K 14 I've shot it. And I absolutely agree with you. The images that it makes are, are really, really nice. I, I, just I can't believe like, the results I'm getting out of it. Um, I'll yeah. post um, a selection of the HP5 shots in the group um, so you can see them. 
There is a, um, by my work, there's a public electric rail that goes into Chicago, a train station. And sometimes I would like to just kind of go up there and just take pictures of the train. But people sometimes look at you weird when you're on a train stand taking pictures of the train, not getting into it. But one time I had that camera with me and there was nobody on the train, but the doors were open and I just stepped in took a picture inside one of the passenger cars, completely empty. And this, this train car is poorly lit. It's got fluorescent bulb lighting across the whole thing. I didn't even spend any time composing my image. I just took a snapshot, whatever, forgot about it. And when I developed the role from that camera, that one image, just, it just came out great. Like the, the metering was perfect. The focus was perfect. The colors were like this eerie green, blue, but somehow looked correct for the nasty fluorescent lighting it had. So I threw at it some pretty tough exposures and uh, it came out really nice. So, um, you know, Shinon, whether it's their SLRs, you know, we've spoken on this show before about the Memotrons, um, the 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 screw mounts they went to the K mounts even their their point and shoots are, are really good cameras and people don't talk about them a lot that auto three thousand one is really nice they Chenon had uh, some proprietary autofocus mechanisms that they actually sold them to other companies at some point and it's been too long for me now to remember but I, I remember when they uh, when they first came out that their cameras were way ahead of everyone else's autofocus capabilities, which is probably why that they were chosen to uh, to produce the Kodaks. Yeah, because when Kodak stopped making, Kodak America stopped making 35 millimeter cameras around, I think it was a Signet 80. They still had one or two Retina models made in um, in Germany. And then after- like the, the Motormatic and stuff like that. Was didn't those continue after the Signet went away? No, uh, uh-uh. oh, okay. The motor, okay. the motormatics, the automatic thirty-five. Um, the when they stopped. Now I'm talking in America, a Kodak, right, right, Rochester, right, right. Kodak cameras. They did continue making the Instamatic and the Pocket Instamatics for quite a while, but it, it appeared as and Paul probably would know more about this than I do. But there was a time where it just seemed Kodak was completely out of the thirty-five millimeter camera game. They yeah, were yeah. they were all in on Instamatic, pocket Instamatic. And then it was around like 85, 86 is when the VR, they had the VR film and then they came out with the VR 35 cameras. And it's like Kodak is once again making cameras, but they were really rebadged Shinons. Let's not forget the Shinon Bellamy, which was the yep. uh, sort of like the chest burster, you know, sort of like the, the, the last iteration of the, the Voigtlander Vitesse. Yeah. Where the, the barn doors swing barn open doors. and the lens pops out. Stupid but fun and very capable. Now, how dependable are those? Because I've actually kind of put out feelers for one, and the, a lot of them seem to be in inoperable condition. Mine works perfectly Yours fine. Works I've got the, I've got the flash and everything for it. Awesome. I think yeah, that's a cool camera. As well. Yeah. To check it. Have you shot it at all though, Mark? Uh I had one roll. I did it like a couple of years ago. I couldn't tell you where the scans are at the moment, but it came out pretty well. I was surprised at the sharpness of the lens, considering, I mean, the construction doesn't seem the best on that camera. And I can see that the doors, if you were to like drop that, it will, you will destroy those doors for certain. Um, but the pictures are decent. Is there two models of that? There's the one with the barn doors, but there's one with a single door as well. They have okay. an autofocus yep. version. That's um, yeah, cause I've got the, that one. The Balami is manual focus, right, Anthony? Yeah, and so the one without the barn doors is an autofocus one. 
I think it's even smaller. Yeah, I've got that one. I might try and pull it out. Yeah, I've I've never not been happy with images I've shot from a shit on camera, which is weird because like prior to me getting into collecting, that was a brand I just never heard of before. I don't know if it's being in the US, they maybe they they were so good at rebadging things that you just didn't hear the name much. Um, but it's it's a shame though that they didn't do more because they clearly knew how to make good stuff. Well, in the US, they were they were a profit line for dealers. And they also were very, very strong in uh, Super 8 movie cameras. They made okay. actually more Super 8 movie cameras and projectors than they did still cameras. They uh, they had Super 8 sound cameras and and very, very high-end uh, Super 8 sound projectors. Okay. Uh, so they were dominant. Uh, they were, Elmo and Chenon were probably the two of the top uh, Japanese uh, movie camera producers. I was looking up Shine On or Shinon Auto 3000 once on eBay. And um, yeah, there's a lot of them. The prices are all over the place, though. I, I, I don't think you mentioned it, but there's a button on the back that does spot metering. Did, did you say that? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't get into any more details, but yeah, there is. Yeah. And it's got, well, I, I, I don't really use that, to be honest. Um, I kind of use this as a point and shoot, so I kind of don't even think about that button. But um, the there's a button on top, which is to turn off the flash. So you just hold it when you're taking the picture and the flash won't go off. And then there's another button, which is fill in flash, which is right next to it, oh. which which I use. I use both of those all the time, but I don't use the, the spot. Um, it says, yeah, spot AF. That's what it says there. So spot focus, yeah. not uh, exposure. Yeah, I think so. I, I have I haven't really um, tried that out much. Yeah, that seems like a, um, something that's worth playing around with. It is, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic, and um, yeah, I'll post pictures in the group so you can see it. The the other camera I wanted to mention um, that I think is less of a zoo camera, more of the the strap camera. Um, I spent a few days going through a backlog of all of the negatives I needed to file from the last year, and the camera that I seemed to put the most rolls through was the Pentax ME Super. Um, but then I wanted to get a second K-mount body and I wanted to get the, the MX and I had to have a black one, of course, because the, ah, yes. the, the ME Super was chrome. So I ordered this on a Wednesday evening and on the Thursday, my MX, no, my uh, ME Super broke. So this is now fate. a stand-in for the ME Super um, because it's gone away for repairs. When we had done our Pentax episode, we got into the K-mounts, the MX was almost unanimously mentioned as a either all-time favorite or like runner-up favorite that is a camera that a lot of people really and i do too um which you know we we've infamously got wrong about it not having uh what was it the mirror lockup or something i forgot we got wrong on it but um yeah the mx that's a hell of a camera depth of field depth of field yeah that's it yeah i think you'll you'll continue to love it i mean it's it's mechanical it's the it's the equivalent to the contemporary to the the Nikon FM. Um, you know, it's all mechanical. It just uses electronics for the metering, but it's it's bulletproof. Mine I got at a, a local um, antique shop, ironically from a dealer that sold auto parts. You know, you go into those like uh, antique shops where they have all the booths, and you know, a lot of time booths will have like a theme. Well, this one was like a whole bunch of like gas pumps and old tools and stuff like that. And there was this really, really worn 
just beat to hell Pentax MX. But as we've spoken about many, many times, the cameras with the most wear almost always work great. And uh, that's kind of how mine is. So mine's definitely a beater, um, but it works wonderfully. So I, I would I would be shocked, Brian, if that camera ever fails you like the ME Super did. Well, the other thing is that that, that black paint, because uh, those were black paint, they're just a handsome camera. I mean, they just really... They really look like a. They look like a really nice camera, except you got a silver uh, battery cover on it. <laughs> and since we're talking about black uh, Pentaxes, um, I'll throw out my first one too. This I, it doesn't have a strap at the moment, and I haven't had it long enough to really qualify. But this will be a future strap camera. I want to thank Paul for this beautiful LX. Uh, he picked up in a large lot, and uh, I just knew I had to get it. So. Um, I had reviewed this camera once before on my site, but that one was a loaner and it, it doesn't happen often. Usually when somebody loans me stuff uh, and I, I send it back, I, you know, I don't always miss stuff, but this was one where it's like, I just, I just liked the camera so much. Um, unfortunately, these do often develop a problem with the meter where the meter starts to go wonky. Um, it has something to do either with the contacts just wearing out or or something. Um, this one has had no problems at all. I've shot two rolls of film already through it, Paul. Works great. And a funny story is, Paul, when you got it, it had a whole bunch of like microscope accessories, right, with it? Yes. So whoever owned this before clearly was doing some kind of alternate work with it. And the LX has interchangeable focusing screens. And Paul had mentioned it has the grid screen. So there's no split image. There's no micro prism collar. And I've become so accustomed to that. I was like, well, I'm probably going to want to swap out that that screen. Um, but I made that comment before I actually shot the camera. And I've now put two rolls of film through this with just the grid, you know, so picture the focusing screen. It just has a grid, but nothing else. And it's so bright. It is so easy to see focus on. I have the SMC Pentax um, 1.4 lens on it that I, I actually love the screen now. In a way, that'll actually be a reason to keep this camera in regular rotation because um, I have very, very poor vision and the ability for me to see through a screen and be able to you know, get my picture right, focus it correctly is is a huge plus for me. So a combination of just the feel, the balance, the weight, the ergonomics, the quality of this camera, plus having that neat um, grid focusing screen uh, will definitely keep this in the rotation for quite some time. You know, so Michael, you're talking about the screens. The the When the Japanese uh, moved everything into split image focusing screens, it was a big sales point and everybody followed suit. They, they Almost everyone had split image screens in their cameras. Pentax K1000 was one of the few that didn't have it, except on the special edition. On the SE model, they did put a split image on them. But most of them were, were a, a, a Fresnel screen with a, a microprism. And it became really hard when someone bought a telephoto lens for those cameras. And all of a sudden, half of the split image blacked out on them uh, when they were trying to focus it. And it was very difficult to teach people to look straight into the center of the camera. If you focus your eye, reposition your eye when you're looking through the finder to look dead square into the center of the circle, the split image will clear up. But uh, if it doesn't, then you're going to have one half of the the split's going to be black, uh, which is the advantage of the, the grid screen or the, right. the full screen. Yeah. So if, if for whatever reason you have a, a preference for a specific type of focusing screen. Um, at least, I mean, I I don't know if that would be true to like a 60s or 70s SLR where the 
the screens weren't quite as bright. But, you know, by the 80s, pretty much everybody's focusing screen was super bright. I mean, I'm holding it. I, I'm in a my office now and I'm pointing the camera at my computer monitor, you know, looking through the camera, <clears throat> excuse me, looking through the camera and then out of the camera. It's almost the same brightness. They they whatever voodoo they did on these screens to maximize brightness uh, by that era allows those grid screens to just really, really shine. Let's ask Miles what is, and I'm going to predict that Miles is going to say that his camera with a strap is a contacts. Oh, very close, Paul. Very close. But uh, I chose uh, the MA, which I bought new from Dan Tamarkin, and uh, a Sumar specifically for this prompt, which I did not buy new from Tamarkin. I think this is this is a set where I can pretty much uh, set whatever controls and focus distance from with the camera behind my back. Uh, so having that familiarity, um, I think, makes it the uh, the go to with the strap well, for me. What made you go to the Sumar? Um, you know, I I always I have a quite an affinity for uncoated optics, um, and I think the image is distinct. Um, and really not reproducible outside of like coded lenses or um, once lenses started being coded. Um, and the Sumar specifically, I was able to find a nice copy, which unfortunately is quite rare. Um, and Doesn't that have notoriously soft front element? So yes, 90% of them these days really look like they've been through. Yes, it is unfortunate. Um, and same with the the F2 sonar from the same era used the same glass uh, and, and suffers the same issues. Um, but I looked out on this one. Um, I bought it from, from Dan maybe two or three years ago now. Um, but it's incredibly high resolving in the center of the image uh, and does as much swirly uh, nonsense in the background at F2 as you would want. But if you stop it down to you know a working aperture, it is... It it it's a it's a very sharp image. Have uh, you adapted any of the uh, the Zeiss lenses to that camera? Yeah, I have uh, several Amadeo ap- adapters. Okay. So I shoot sonars from thirty two to to like fifty six, um, both uncoded and coded, um, and that probably represents my largest uh, like cohort of lenses that I use on both contaxes and my Leica. Miles, for for those of us who aren't as familiar with all of the Leica M cameras, what's different about the MA compared to like the M3 or M4? Yeah, the MA came out in I think 2014, and it was it's basically a like vanity adaptation of the MP, which came out um, I think around 2000 or so. Uh, but the MA has no meter in it, and uh, the top script, this is this is very nerd and, and the listeners can't see it, but the top script is the classic Leica script, uh, whereas the uh, <laughs> whereas the MP has a, uh, it just says Leica and a bigger script without the, the other stuff. Um, it comes in silver and black chrome. It does not come in black paint. That's uh, one distinction. And the frame lines are slightly different. Uh, they show slightly different than the MP. Okay. So um, it's it's like in a way, kind of like a, a, a subtly tweaked re-release. Um, yeah. Slightly improved without completely changing it com- totally. All right. Yeah. Internally, it is exactly the same as an yeah. MP. So yeah, except for the meter. 
you you mentioned um the the amadeo lens adapters so this is a slight tangent from that but um i received a gift from um christopher may as a friend of the show too he's he had a spare i don't know how he had two of them um but it's a seven artisans leica m to nikon z adapter uh and and i've been waxing poetic about my z5 lately but uh, now i can adapt some of those nice m lenses to my uh, my Nikon and it's got uh, what I like about it it's got it's an internal helix so like I should be able to do a little bit of macro with it yeah, so um, that's very nice that's very yeah nice. It, it's very I mean it's heavy you know for a tiny adapter I mean it's all brass um I I, I go with a lot of the cheap fotasi ones you can get on um on Amazon and, and for basic adapters are usually fine but um this this has some good weight to it I don't know if I want to, if, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, but what is so bad about the cheap ones? Uh, the, because I've, I've used the cheap ones and I know that you can spend a hundred bucks, you know. It depends on okay. which mount you're adapting. Um, if you're just going like, uh, like Minolta, you know, um, SR mount or Nikon mm -hmm. F mount, um, M42, they're so simple. It's just metal. There's nothing wrong with going with the cheap ones, but if you want to do something like the Canon FD mount um, sure, that has sure. the the breech lock, um, the DKL mount is famous. Those are much more complicated, and if you get the cheap ones, they're just really rough. Makes so, sense because I've just done like a screw mount to Micro Four Thirds. It seems to work. Yeah. Well, oh, those are For, there's nothing M42s. I mean, those are those are slam dunks. But when you get yeah. them that have any kind of linkage in them, right. Well, of course, the, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the, the, what what Miles was saying about the Amadeo adapters, there there are some really cheap uh, adapters to put Zeiss lenses on uh, Leica M cameras. And what they did was basically just take apart uh, a Soviet camera and take the mount off, right? And, uh, and adapt yeah. it. And they they focus fine. The problem is they self eject. So you're uh, you're shooting with it one minute you've got a camera with a lens on it the next minute you have two separate pieces. <laughs> and is that yeah. soft so, aluminum being a soviet camera i don't think they use aluminum it's just less refined brass <laughs> they just they just didn't get it right you know it's it's <laughs> off by a micron but that's just that's enough you know um if you're sticking all soviet they're all off equally so they they they, <laughs> they, they well together but you try to you try to attach a zeiss lens using a soviet yeah. adapter um it's probably not going to play well i've i mentioned in another episode you know this isn't a, a lens adapting episode but um you can actually get contacts or nikon rangefinder adapters that don't have the internal helix it's just the external bayonet um so like for example i have uh the nikkor uh, 35 millimeter f25 lens and i can adapt that to my my nikon z5 because i bought the external contacts adapter which is very simple you don't need the helix you don't you know the amadeos are handcrafted custom built from scratch all new parts they're very 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 well made paul has spoken many times about his orion adapter he had once long ago uh, to get any kind of contacts rangefinder or Nikon rangefinder adapter that has the internal bayonet, very complicated. But if you have some of the telephoto or wide angles, uh, even if you have the Nikkor 50 millimeter, the 1.1 lens, that super fast lens, about half of those lenses use the external bayonet, half use the internal bayonet. But if you have an external bayonet 
contacts or NICOR lens and you want to adapt it digitally, you only need an adapter with the external bayonet. So uh, that'll save you a ton of money. I will say the only thing with the adapters that I've had, I've had struggles with is the M39 screw mount to Leica M. I've gone with some of the Amazon ones and I've had troubles with the frame lines fully engaging on my M bodies. So at that point, I just started foraging for either the Voigtlander or the or the original Leica ones. Because then the other thing you get into is if your lens has an infinity lock, you kind of got to make sure, because I think there's at least one or two adapters that don't accommodate the infinity lock. Well, and I've heard well. some of them get stuck. They actually get stuck oh, in the camera. Do. They do get stuck. And and uh, here's a here's a tip. And some of you, you probably know this. On the old Leica M, uh, rear lens caps the rear lens caps are flat but there are three nubs on the uh, on the back of the caps those three nubs fit perfectly into the three holes that are in the adapter so if you ever get one stuck in the uh, in the on the body the screw the lens is unscrewed the adapter is still stuck on the M body take that rear cap put it on the on the adapter so that the nubs fit into the holes and rotate it it comes right out did anyone ever try to take? Did anyone ever try to take a a, a K mount adapter or a thread mount thread decay adapter out of a stuck K body? Pentax, you know, made the adapter to put screw mount lenses, M forty two lenses on K mount bodies. Yes, and the cheap bodies would would almost always get stuck when you release the K adapter. It, it wouldn't uh, and try to get it off. It wouldn't come off. So there, there you are with the uh, with the adapter stuck in it, and those threads are razor sharp. So you stick your fingers in it, you try to turn it, and uh, you look down, you've got bloody fingers, and they're just a mess to get them off. Uh, while we we're talking about uh, Leicas and and so on, and uh, I, I mentioned, I mean, uh, I mentioned obviously the Nikon um, autofocus earlier for a carry on camera, but since we're, we've gone down the Leica route, um, my camera with a strap. Um, I'll bring through and sort of keep it on theme is the M2. Uh, I, I find this is the camera where I'm just going out to take pictures for the sake of taking pictures and not for an article for my website or anything like that. Um, that's the one I pick up and it's always got a strap on it and um, it's a rope strap too. So I know that's their divisive uh, amongst people sometimes, but um, but it's, uh, it's, it's the camera that I really enjoy it lets me shoot uh, both 50 and uh, the 30, my, my preferred 35. I do actually have a uh, Zeiss uh, Bygone 35 millimeter on it. Uh, I tend to prefer that at 35 than the, the Leica lenses. Uh, just gives it the rendering that I, I, I particularly like. So this to me is my carry, you know, carry everywhere camera when I go traveling a lot of times when I just want to take pictures for the sake of taking pictures. That's that's the kind of camera that comes with me. Now have you had that one serviced or is did it just come to you in great condition? It'd been serviced before I got it. Um uh, so did Jess, I haven't just do it? No, 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 no. This was um this was before I knew Jess. But uh okay. this this um this hasn't skipped a beat. Uh my I, I use it in conjunction with my M3 a lot as well, where I, I stick the 50 on the M3 and the 35 on this, and then I don't have to worry about changing lenses at all either. So okay. uh, it's actually it's actually a nice combination. Uh, I used to have an M3. Yeah, you sold it to get a <laughs> something, right? Didn't you some, buy it? Some, some another? 
<laughs> Theo, you had said um, that there's uh, contentious opinions about rope straps. Do you, do we know why that is? Oh, I think some people think that you should have a flat flat one for for comfort. Other people think that you should have these these aren't good for ergonomics. Um, others just oh, I don't know think they may be hippie looking straps as well. So hipsters, They're hipster <laughs> hipsters, straps. hipsters. You know, so. and, you know, let's let's just go off on them now. All these people <laughs> spend $120 for a, 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 who are the, what's the Japanese company, Arts and Artisans or somebody like that that makes a, a Norween schmooey strap that has horrible lugs on it. And they, they sell them for $125 to $150. Luigi in Italy is making straps that are, that are, that are works of art that, uh, it takes 12 years to get them soft enough that they actually will huh. will uh, will bend down. Um, you know, it just makes me crazy. It's and peak designs, the peak design straps, all they are are just cheap straps with a fancy connector on them, and they're mm. they're 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 outrageously expensive. You know, Anthony is a fan of the Hyperion straps. Uh, I so like I. which are they're reasonably priced. Absolutely. Very, even, very even their leather, even their leather strap was only like seventeen euro. Yeah, mm -hmm. I buy cheap Hyperion straps. I mean, they're they're knockoffs of the Hyperions. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually get the Hyperions. They're they're made in Greece as well, and as you can tell, my background's Greek, so that's that's a, a plus for me as well. But uh, no, they they're fantastic quality, and they're actually reasonably priced for the material that's being used. I agree with you, Paul. Some of these multi hundred dollar straps. Um, which are basically a piece of rope, are really, really um, just way out there. I think they're made of a four. The, they're made from the foreskin of an endangered species or something. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you would you had mentioned hipster and then the word hippie, so I figure this is a good segue into the hippie straps, um, which is a style of strap that was very, very popular with very ornate threaded you know patterns and i i've accumulated quite a few over the years here's a nice red it doesn't quite show up in the zoom well but there's a nice kind of patriotic red white and blue one um i got kind of a cool yellow and blue looking one here with some uh orangish maybe pink inlays um i got uh i don't know what color this is but um, i have a bunch of cool colored ones I, i'll stop describing them but i got a whole fistful of straps that i've accumulated over the years and i will say though when i get one of these they immediately go in the washing machine because these things are usually disgusting they are um, filthy they're filthy yeah did, uh, i mean did they you see the, did you see the picture i posted the one with the, the maple leaf on it yeah the yeah Canadian brothers and sisters i mean it was um, they're just awful has anybody ever seen this this strap before the cannon the red cannon strap mm -hmm. This one's actually really nice. Um, these were, I think someone told me that they made these for the, either the 84 or 88 Olympics. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, it doesn't have an Olympic logo on it, so that's maybe not true, but um, it's actually really nice. It's, it's got nice padding on it, real thick. I've actually used this attached to a camera before. Um, I got an Agfa one that just has the Agfa logo all over it, you know, the whole length of it. Uh, I have a new... <laughs> I have a new in the package Minolta, never even opened, still shrink wrap. Um, yeah, I got a bunch. <laughs> so, somebody gave me a box that had a number of 
of Pentax professional straps from the 80s or 90s. And I thought, oh, these are so cool. And, you know, I have one for my MX and one for my Spotmatic. And I, and I put all these like deluxe and didn't realize that the, the rubber backing was degrading. And yeah. I destroyed like five shirts that had it's- just... Un- <laughs> You couldn't bleach out the the black rubber that rubber into the into yep. the shirts. I've actually seen that before. It just you get it on your hands and it's like, oh, that's disgusting. That's my that's my problem with leather straps. I've had brown leather straps and uh, and a white t shirt on a hot summer day, and uh, you know you 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 have a new stripe feature on your yes. shirt. But uh, you know, I never thought getting into this that I'd have actually a cool story for a strap. You know, I always. <laughs> think of straps as very transient things but i was on a business trip in uh hong kong and i had heard about this strap company uh barton 1972 and uh, i don't know if anybody's heard of the straps but um they make these beautiful like braided leather straps um and uh i happened to find his retail outlet and I don't know. It was just on a Friday evening. I go up there and I, I meet the gentleman behind it, Andy Barton, and uh, he's got a YouTube channel. He's a pretty interesting gentleman, but he was actually just about a week away from closing up his shop because he was just going to go fully online. Um, but uh, just walked me through all their options. But uh, to this day, it's probably one of the most comfortable and also just most appealing straps. You know, when you get something that's leather, but then it's like you know, you knew somebody put some quality into it and the craftsmanship and everything it uh you know makes you confident when you wear it with whatever camera you got with it so i have a serious question so for those of you who have kind of a premium leather strap like that that you really do like and want to use it but on multiple cameras like what is your process from moving that strap from camera to camera you just don't ever do it i don't ever do it you just leave it on your favorite camera and that's it that's it because like I like my my fingernails. I want to keep yeah, them. Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> I mean, there are some good quick release options, but they usually in some way don't match or, you know, the, it, it looks weird or something like that, or maybe it rubs up against the camera wrong. So, like, that's kind of been, I have, I don't have it handy here, but I have a couple okay straps, you know, something that's actually very comfortable. But if I'm going to go to a place, like, again, back to the zoo camera discussion, where I just want a camera dangling from my neck that is just ready and ready to go whenever I needed to, I, I, I get annoyed with that process of unthreading through the loops and trying to get the strap off to get it onto something else. So apart from going nutso with these $125 Japanese uh, testicle skin leather, you know, um, I, I don't know how many people buy bunches of them or you just like, like Bill said, just keep your favorite strap on your favorite camera. I have multiple Gordy straps. Gordy's are made in uh, somewhere out on the West coast and they're, they're a very thin uh, Latigo leather. And there, he'll cut them to whatever length you want. He'll put a pad on them if you want. Uh, he'll use different color stitching. And they're beautiful straps. And I think the average price is $35 to $40. But they are not interchangeable. He doesn't make any that have a quick release. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to put one on multiple cameras, you're going to need multiple straps. And, and I'm with Bill. I, I can't, uh, I, I really hate changing straps on a camera. So yeah. once I get them on, once I get them on, they're they're really on unless I have to change them. Bill, wasn't there a guy in Canada that just like a year, yeah, maybe three years ago, started doing some really nice leather work straps? Mark Rossi, I don't know what he's up to with that. Um, 
There's a woman who is actually hand weaving camera straps. It's a friend of mine, Dana Case. She um, has a Facebook presence under Whitney Weaving, and she uh, weaves with, uh, oh, God, tinsel. I just, I have two of her original ones, but I saw uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend, recently picked up a new one that uh, it just looked gorgeous. It was like white, off-white, and sort of like a dark gray black with sort of an orange sort of like nylon to connect to the camera, like say a regular Canon or Nikon strap or um, Domkey, which is sort of my go-to. Domkey, I'm probably going to splurge and buy it one or two off my friend Dana at some point. And I also recently just picked up a, a thin leather one from a company at Western Canada called Fieldwork. And it's, again, it's English belting leather. So it's not going to disintegrate on you. But yeah, I wouldn't want to wear it with a white T-shirt <laughs> in, in North America. In, New, in Australia, yeah, you can get away with it in July, no problem. But up here, July, no. And uh, since I'm here, uh, the camera that has a strap on it would probably be my Nikon F, any one of my Nikon F2s. Like they've been into the depths of Algonquin Park. Uh, they've been on more day trips than I can I can even count at this point. And I was just using one, uh, an F2AS on Easter weekend. And I was playing around with some uh, Atlanta Film Company uh, Koji 125 tungsten film results to come down the line. And as for the little small, you know, go anywhere camera, probably have to be the Rolly 35 with the Tessar lens. Well, real quick, uh, Bill, before the show, the guys and I were predicting what a model that might get brought up multiple times is a, a favorite camera. And I thought when I saw you being a Nikon guy, I thought you would say it. You got really close there with Nikon F2, but uh, uh, it wasn't the one we were thinking of. So um um, I, I won't say it in case someone wants to bring it up, though. But uh, I agree with you. The, the Raleigh 35 is is great. Um, yeah, I've got one, a couple with the Tessar and one with the Zenitar, uh, Zenar lens. Uh, an interesting little conversation piece, because that one, I think, was the first one that was made in Singapore. They had a shortage of Tessar lenses. So right. Schneider kind of pulled up, pulled up the slack. That's what Anthony has. Anthony's is a Schneider too. And that was, you're exactly right. They had a shortage of the, the Tessars. They, so Schneider kind of stepped up. Um, optically though, there's no difference. I mean, no. some people, some people will pay more for the Schneiders because they're less common. Some people will pay more for certain lenses because they think they're better, but I, I don't believe that they are. I, I would be utterly shocked if you could truly tell a difference between the Zeiss versus the Schneider Raleigh 35s. And I don't know if there's any proof of this. I, I'm not about to go back and listen to every episode of the show I've ever done. But I feel like my gut tells me that if there's one camera we have brought up more often on every episode of the show than any other, it's probably the Raleigh 35. That that camera just seems to come up so often on this show. But they're so but, darn cute. Yeah. <laughs> but, but hang on. We've got, we have to clarify here. We're talking about straps on cameras. And I've got a Raleigh 35 here by chance. Yes. But it has a rope hand strap rather a than rope a hand strap. strap. Uh, are we are we going? Yeah, are we allowing discussion of hand straps in this? Yeah, episode? absolutely. <laughs> Any kind of strap. Absolutely. Strap. Yeah. Technically, it's it is written. a strap. You didn't well, here, say here's it's a something. strap to go around. It's a strap. Here's a, a, a camera strap issue, which I don't know if this is just my own imagination, but. Uh, here's a camera strap, which is not just to hold the camera, 
this is a it's a Minox. 50s late uh middle to late 50s early 60s um uh, vetzlar not riga minox but i've long understood that the little nubbins on here are designed to give you a uh uh uh, uh for for doing close-up photography because the focus we've got 0.2 meters 0.24 meters 0.3 meters and I don't know if this is just a story that I hypothesized, but there are little uh, nubbins here. And I've long been under the impression, I've never used it to do this, but that the theory is this is the 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 thing that you would use if doing very close up, you know, photography of documents or something like that. Yeah, it's, they actually call them a measuring strap. Ah, so it's not, I mean, I mean, the thought being, now you got a strap that is there holding the camera, but it's got another use as well, so. Well, but it doesn't have, you see, there's, the, the only thing, what's on the other end of the strap that isn't Well, that's interesting, too. This little doodad that looks to me like it's designed to go on a button. Yes. Well, a lot of them will have a little clasp. Ah. And the clasp would be to put it into a a buttonhole or something like that so that the camera would would not get lost. Ah, absolutely. Um, but those were actually, I mean, as a strap itself, they weren't terribly useful because it's nothing but really a, a piece of uh that's true flexible uh material brain. Yeah, it's a very nicely, it's 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 classic 1950s German uh uh, uh mechanical engineering. It's it's wonderful, but but it doesn't really I I agree with you, it doesn't do much as far as holding the camera. No, if if you're using your Minox for document copying, they absolutely translate to the different uh, like the first four focal lengths. So like Makes in the sense. US, it, it's eight inches, 10 inches, 12 inches, and then 20 inches. And uh, at the end, because I, I shoot Minox all the time, ah. and I always save three or four shots to take pictures of books just to show people. I mean, you can shoot uh, text that's in six-point type, mm -hmm. and you use that little eight-inch measure, and it works perfectly in focus. And so, yeah, that's how it actually worked as a spy camera. That's how, if you were gonna sure. like, try to take your picture of your your your, your nuclear launch codes, uh, <laughs> you would use your 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 first little you know bump there on the chain to to get that accurate focus. That was actually pretty common with that style of camera. I think the Ashika yeah. Adiron does that too. Um, and there's even, even even the XA4 has a, yeah the macro XA4 has a, a one foot focus, and the 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 strap with that is one foot long, so you can get accurate macro photography with the XA4. Absolutely. Well, it makes sense because, you know, you don't have any depth of field uh, when you're up close like that. And even though if you've got a, a whatever this is, a, 13, a 15 millimeter lens, you know, you're really pressing things. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's fixed at 3.5. Oh, that's right. That's right. Nothing but shutter speed. Yeah. Well, Miles just ducked out. But, you know, Miles had mentioned, you know, Paul thought that Miles was going to bring his his contacts as the, his, his strapped camera. And I thought about my contacts 2A, uh, which is probably the, the big range finder that I use more than any others. And I thought about my Super Iconta, uh, the six by six, which I've probably shot more in medium format in than any other camera. But actually when I went back and looked at my stats for the last four years, the camera that I have put more film in, the, the, that I just like, I'm gonna go shoot a rocket launch and I want a camera that will just work. It is my Contax ST, which is a camera that I'm betting that very few people here have ever even held. I have not. The XT was like the big brother to the Aria. Uh, so it's got like the, the magnesium body. It's got an incredible heft to it, yet it's also very sculptural. Uh, it's just a beautiful camera. It's It has 
you know, full manual all the way up to program mode if you've got the MM lenses. But if you've got the AE lenses, it's just aperture priority or or manual. And it's a, it's also a uh, auto wind camera, so there's there's no manual film advance in it. Which when I'm shooting wildlife or shooting uh, uh, rocketry, uh, it's very handy to have. And you know, it's a camera that doesn't get a lot. There's not a lot of you know, buzz about it. There's not a lot of cachet about it because people like the Aria because it was smaller. Uh, and people like the, uh, was it the AX that had the auto focusing on the film plane so you could get uh, stabilization off of other lenses. You know, this doesn't have all those bells and whistles, but as a, a modern SLR, uh, there's no camera that I shoot more than my contacts ST. And it always has its bright red Hyperion rope uh, strap on it. Because I think the red and the black look really good together, but yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of an oddball camera. It was actually uh, Cheyenne Morrison's, the person that that really talked me into this. He somehow got his hands on all of the uh, the marketing material from uh, when the the camera was launched, and uh, it, the, the amount of technology that Contacts put into this camera, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was stunning. And and because this one's under the radar, I was able to pick up the body for under two hundred dollars. And it's got right now. It's got the uh, Planar fifty one seven that I, I picked up from the uh, Bits and Bobs and Lotions Potions Emporium a couple of years ago. <laughs> Considering that I'm so obsessed with manual SLRs, and I have just about every one of every significant manual SLR ever manufactured, and yet this Contax is just the the camera that I just it just is my go to. Uh, before we go on, we did lose Miles, but we gained somebody. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show. Um, Bob, you were on the Mamiya episode, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I was did, on that one. Did you get a chance to introduce yourself? I don't think you did on that one because we were going so quickly on that that episode. Well, that, was a, that was a full one, too. There was a lot of people for that one. Yeah. You want to just say your name, where you're from? Okay, I'm Bob St. Cyr. I'm uh, currently in Abbotsford, British Columbia, about an hour east of Vancouver, British Columbia, west coast of Canada. All right. So we have you and Bill representing the North here. So um, do you have a, a favorite camera or a, a, an interesting pile of straps that you'd like to share with us? Uh, well, interesting camera is the one I don't have, but uh, <laughs> uh, I would love to have a, a Ghibellini 810 Ti would be the camera that I would like to have. So I, I like uh, Ghibellini oh, 810 Ghibellini. Ti. Yeah. Okay, that's a big camera then. Yeah, yeah, I like big. So I don't think you can put a strap on that. <laughs> you know, well, it it has a nice leather, a custom made leather handle strap kind of thing okay. on it. It's it, it's beautiful. Everything about it is is top shelf. But anyway, that's uh, that would be nice to have. Yes, but for sure. Otherwise, I. Uh, I just I have straps on most of them because I use them. Like I have, uh, as right. far as a small small format goes, like I'll have one in the vehicle with me and it's ready to go. And uh, then if I'm going out, usually you know sometimes I'll take a, a medium and then a small format, or I'll take the large and a small format with me. So you know I got to have straps on them because uh, you know I'm carrying stuff, right? So it's 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 imperative that I that I have that. Nothing nothing fancy or out of the ordinary. Just a good utility strap to uh, carry the gear around. Gotcha. 
what is, you know, coming back to sh- different types of straps, um, we were talking before the show started, there was a stylish strap that I've come across a couple of times. I'm sure some of you have too, that seems to have been popular at one time. Um, it's like a metal rope and it looks almost like it's like a made out of a necklace material. It's extremely bendy. Um, I'll have a picture of this and I, I don't know what the official name for this type of metal it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's called a, a hair puller, a hair puller. It, that's where I was going with it. And it looks very cool it, for it being metal. I mean, it, it's very, very bendy, but the design of it, it's made up of all these very, very tiny metal loops. And you, you put this around your neck and it, it, like Anthony said, it doubles as shaving the back of your, of your neck. I mean, it will just rip every hair out of the back of your neck to where it's a, it's smooth as like a, a baby's bottom, <laughs> a hairless neck after using one of these things. And I, I just can't imagine people like use these. I mean, yet I've come across them a number of times on old cameras are pretty. It displays very nicely. I have it here on a, on a nice exacta Varex 2A. I have the metered prism and a biotar on it. So um, for a display piece, they're, they're very pretty, but practically, man, I, I just, I don't know how anybody could have used this or maybe humanity has evolved or, or de-evolved, I should say, <laughs> to where in the mid 20th century, maybe nobody had hair on the back of their necks or something. Well, Mike, the only thing that was any less comfortable than that was the one that was barbed wire. Barbed wire, yeah. The barbed wire strap. <laughs> I mean, those were just, those, those straps were so diabolical. I mean, yeah. they were, and if you had a heavy camera like that exacta with a lens on it, yeah, you know, you got a pound and a half or two pound camera, oh, yeah, yeah and a sure. quarter inch strap. I mean, it's just not comfortable. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not pulling your hair out, it's so thin that all that weight is in like a maybe two to three millimeter wide strap, all all putting pressure on one spot on your neck. You're going to have a dent in the back of your neck after you're done shooting it for five minutes so yeah there's been some diabolical straps over to the years so so what's hang on what the barbed wire strap i've never heard of that one it was uh there was it was a subset i mean it was it was primarily by a you know a certain bdsm crowd <laughs> photographers that uh that uh came out with them probably probably not something you're familiar with leo Okay, I think that um, discussion of BDSM uh, straps kind of kicked <laughs> my cough. So, the nanny <laughs> chip kicked in. <laughs> so, um, so we do have lost uh, Mike, hopefully temporarily. Uh, who's got another camera that they want to sort of bring up, Mark? Yeah. Uh, so this currently on a strap, I've got my Bessa R2A. And uh, typically I'll have like my Pen F or the ME Super on a strap, but this one I'm trying to get to learn it more and use it. And I'm really, really enjoying this camera. I've had it for a couple of years, haven't shot it much, uh, but I'm really starting to enjoy learning the ins and outs, the little quirks of this camera. Uh, and yeah, and then the strap is just a little cheapy rope one from Amazon that I kind of hung off the ceiling to make sure that it was strong enough to not break with the camera use. Uh, and so far it seems to be fine. Is that one of the snapshot scopars, like the the wide angle Voigtlander lenses? That yeah, it's a thirty five millimeter f two point five, uh, ah. and then I found this sort of like three D printed uh, nylon um, hood for it. Oh, that I yeah, uh, the thirty five two five scopar is just beautiful glass. Yeah, I've really been enjoying it 
uh, it's great for like when I, well, I used to work in downtown DC and now I'm a little further out. So I don't, don't get as much of a chance to do any walk arounds anymore. But when I do, this is my, my, my new go-to. Yeah, I got a strap I can show you on my uh, Plabelle. I, I, the Plabelle hangs funny. It, it hangs vertically. Um, but these straps, a buddy of mine, long story, but a buddy of mine passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, I bought all of his cameras from his family to sell them for him. But this, this camera is one of the, it's a secure strap. And what that basically means is that there are strands of metal woven through the fabric. So if you're in a city or something, a big deal with uh, in for shop for uh, pickpockets is to come with a box cutter, cut your strap off, grab the camera and run. Well, they're not going to get very far with these because it's, it's very high strength steel uh, woven through. Now they could get this part of it but uh, if they try to cut anywhere else, it isn't going to cut. Right, they're probably going to reach for the middle of it. They're not going to cut it right, right next right. to the body. Yeah. yeah, they're going to try to get it with the, the most convenient place to get a hold of it. And they're actually pretty nice straps. I, I normally don't like a real wide strap like that, but that camera is relatively heavy, so it uh, it's good. Well, uh, earlier in the show, I hinted at a camera that would become or could become, I should say, a, a, a camera with a strap um, because it does something that most cameras cannot, you know, it's, it's a very special purpose camera. That's very easy to use. Oh, please um, tell me it's a Minolta talker. It is not. <laughs> I have here as Zeiss Holigan uh, oh, ultra wide. Goodness. So this has a, a trigger, a handheld trigger for you know, sh remote shutter release. And Paul explained it to me is, so the lens is a 15 millimeter F8, three element Zeiss Holigon. Um, I'll have pictures of this, but if you look, it, look at how thin the camera is. The, the lens is basically contained within the inside of the body. The body is, I believe, the Contorex body, but there's no mirror. There's no through the laterine. The viewfinder is just a scale focus. You look through it and you see a 15 millimeter field of view. Uh, but because the lens is so wide and it's so close to the body that any attempt to hold the camera like you would a normal camera, you'll get your fingers in the shot. So the proper way to use this is with this handheld trigger below it with a you know button for firing the shutter and it just connected with a simple shutter release. You can shoot it without it. I mean, there is a normal shutter release on top. I can fire the camera and, and, and what, whatnot. But um, what I like about this is for as strange and rare of a camera as this is it's focus free you have one aperture you can change shutter speeds it's got um a selection of one second up to 500 plus bulb um no metering no electronics of any kind and you literally just point up to it and i, I think the minimum focus on this thing is like two feet so basically everything from two feet to infinity is always in focus. You don't have to focus. You don't worry about exposure, load in a, a versatile film, go outside and just start firing away. Um, and, and, and I, I realize that this isn't something that a lot of people are going to have access to, but when you have these really wide uh, angle lenses, just having that incredible depth of field and being able to walk around and just take pictures of stuff. And what I like about extreme wide angle, ultra wide angle lenses is they have a tendency to take just mundane things and give a completely different look to them. You know, I find when I review many cameras for, for my website, I end up going to the same places to take, you know, test photos of it from a, 
from an artistic standpoint, it can sometimes get a little boring. You know, I'm doing some of the same test shots over and over and over again. You know, sometimes maybe the lighting is a little bit different or whatnot. But I found with this thing that I can go to a place I've been before and get an image, but it looks so totally different because I'm fitting so much more into the into the field of view um, that I don't normally get with with even a normal wide angle lens. Well, that was interesting because that it is indeed a three element lens. The finder is a seven element finder. <laughs> yeah. The finder is more complicated than lenses. Somehow somebody at Zeiss, who knows who did it. I'll, I'll do more research because I am going to review this camera. Somebody figured out you can get really good, extremely wide angle, 15 millimeter images with only three elements. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And that's how, I mean, I'm not kidding when I say, for those of you at home, try to picture a normal SLR body. So picture the thickness from front to back. The lens is about halfway into the body. So I'm going to open up the film. I, I don't want to do it now because I do have film in here. But the, 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 the lens is like tenth of an inch, you know, two, three millimeters away from the film plane. Yet it, it works. Mike, that camera is so valuable that if you're going to carry it, you don't need a strap. You need a holster with a six holster. Yeah. A, a handcuffs. Like the old, you know, suitcase, briefcase. I'll be handcuffed to myself. And yeah. and if you're if you're at all portly, you want to lean forward when you shoot with it. Oh, because it'll get your belly in. You will. You will. <laughs> or if you have big feet, you'll get your shoes in. Big feet, you, yeah. Do you happen to know, is it true that they made that lens in a Leica M mount, or is that a rumor? They I know somebody who has one. Oh, okay. I believe there was either a conversion. Uh, that you could get for that and i and i want to say it was yeah it was that lens um but they use it's somebody i know who uses it quite regularly um i know his instagram and he's in he's i'm in detroit he's in the detroit area but uh i think it's i think it is that lens or it's the 15 or 16 millimeter but it is a hologon i just googled it it's a 16 millimeter oh um f8 it is m mount modified uh hamish from 35 mmc has a review of it um, I can tell just by looking at it, it's clearly a different formula than this one is here. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it is about as narrow, though, probably. I mean, it's mm -hmm. he's got a picture of it mounted to an M3, and a good portion of the glass is inside of the lens mount. Lens mount. Because I remember back in the day, I, 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 it was sort of rumored or, or, or they were going to do it. So apparently they did. If someone's got one, they did. But obviously it was a very rare item. I had the chance to buy it off of the gentleman I know, Andy, who has one, and uh -huh. uh, I last minute turned it down, and I regret it. Yeah, I, I don't know that. It, it, on one hand, it's not practical because the images it produces are so distinct that it's it's not going to work for like typical right. things you want to take a look of. It, it applies its uh, look to everything you shoot, but on the other hand, for your, if you're in a like stagnant, like sometimes I kind of feel like I am, I'm constantly shooting the same scenes over and over again. It, it definitely does breathe a, a breath of fresh air into the same old scenes because you're just, they're just going to look totally different. And it's not a fisheye, you know, you're going to get full coverage. I, I forget the optical term, but when a fisheye. Rectilinear. Rectilinear. There you go. It's a rectilinear <laughs> lens. So you're still going to get straight lines. You, you It'll screw up your horizon. But like if there's a sidewalk or something, it's it's going to extend out to the corners. So and there's even a bubble level on the top of it to make sure like it, it only goes forward and backwards. It doesn't do side to side. 
But uh, that's that's a fun one. Thinking back to uh, the, the Mamiya's again, um, I know you can appreciate the weight of a C330, and so I was figuring a way to, to carry that. And I did have this uh, Optic made in the United States of America, and I found this to be an amazing, amazing camera strap with the, the design of it. I don't know if you can see that. Um, it, it just worked really, really well to, to carry that without putting a lot of pressure on the neck. I found it to be a really good uh, a strap. I don't know if you still have Optic there. Is, do they no, still no, make straps? They're still around, Bob. They, they, uh, okay. That one is actually the Pro strap because it's contoured. They, yeah, they, they, it's, oh, it's beautiful. It. Like that's that's can be a heavy camera to carry around for a long time, but this guy really made the difference. If you get a good strap, it really does make a difference. They make them for they made them for Mamiya RBs and uh, also Hasselblad and and various other medium format cameras with with connectors that uh, that fit into the yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are flexible. They're they're stretch. Uh, 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 I want to. I always call them foam, but they're not foam. They're they're a, a high density type material that that does uh, it has some give to it, so they're very comfortable to to carry. When it comes to cameras with a strap, um, my cameras that get a strap, it's more of a privilege than it is a, a, a right for my cameras. And so uh, the ones I don't shoot as often may not have a strap, and uh, I just I bag them and take them out when I'm ready to shoot, but. Uh, so I wasn't sure on this camera whether I wanted to uh, honor it with a strap yet. But uh, a couple months ago, I picked up from uh, Pro Camera, Ryan at Pro Camera. He had this Nika uh, 3L that he had uh, he had sent off to get repainted uh, by a gentleman, I think, in South America. Did a fantastic job giving it kind of a unique finish, but... There's a couple of things I like about this that I love thread mount cameras, but I like this because, you know, a couple of things on the shutter dial, you're not lifting it up to turn it. You're pushing it down to turn yeah. it. And I find that a lot more natural. I agree. I like when, that too. When I'm using it. Yeah. And then um, I even think the motion is somewhat natural for the uh, the film advance. Uh, even though it does kind of protrude a little bit. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Did he upgrade that with titanium curtains? <laughs> this was before he got on the titanium. Okay. Pick. So we've, uh, we've yeah. been noticing he's doing that to everything now. I'm just waiting for a titanium curtain leaf shutter camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Can you hold, uh, get us some pictures of that one. I've never seen a black. Yeah. It's a three L. It's a three L. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, the, the gentleman. Um, Enzo Patagonian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had Enzo do it. Okay. And when he when he sent me some pictures uh, when it was getting repainted, I messaged him quick. I was like, "Can I get first dibs?" He's like, "Yeah, you got it." I mean, but, from what uh, I can see on the zoom window, it looks like a nice glossy paint finish. Yeah, it you know it it definitely came out pretty well. Yeah, um, I, very cool. I, I used to have a strong opinion about repainted cameras uh, and things that maybe weren't originally, but uh, I. I don't know. It, it came out slick in the way that that body is designed. It already is kind of very yeah. minimalistic and it fits it well. I had an idea for a future show to do like a strong opinions episode where we kind of brought up a bunch of things that people in the film community have strong opinions on and repainted cameras like that, I think is one of them because I hear that discussion all the time. 
And uh, personally, I'm all for it. I, I think I've seen so many really good uh, aftermarket paint jobs. Alan Starkey in the UK does a lot of repaints and he does a great job. Um, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but I've seen him repaint a whole bunch of Minolta SRT cameras in like bright red, pink, yellow, and it, it looks neat. You know, I mean, no, it's not original, but I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. I mean, these are cameras. These things are designed to make images. And if somebody's going to change the color of it and do a good job of it again, yes, it's, it's gotta be well done, but with a good paint job, I see to me, that's not going to make me angry. It's not going to make me angry if somebody takes a 67 puke yellow Mustang and <laughs> repaints it, you know, midnight blue, you know, or something. I think that looks cool, you know? So I, I like it when people, you know, give nice repaints like your, your Nika, Alex. That's really neat. I, I like the Kievs that have been repainted in the Ukrainian full cart style. <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the Matroska doll. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in, in Melbourne. Um, I think his name's Mark Griswold, who, um, he might be actually a good guest for the uh, show one day. He actually um, not only just repaints them, he actually goes down to some futuristic enamels and, and finishes as well, which, um, which you know, if you really think about it, you know, these are getting old, some of these cameras. This breathes a new, new life into them sometimes and probably adds another 50, yeah. 60 years to them. I agree. And you're not trying to fool anybody. I mean, it's... no. It, it is what it is, and and you're making it, you're personalizing it. I, I got no problem with that. So we're coming up, uh, we're coming up near the end of the show. There is one more strap discussion though that I wanted to ask you guys how you guys handle this. Is a lot of mid-century, late '60s cameras didn't have strap lugs, and the only way to use a strap on them is if you have the original EverReady case, which, as we've probably all witnessed, it isn't always feasible. These cases are old. Um, they might be in poor condition. Sometimes they smell horrible. Uh, but even if they're in nice cosmetics, I don't trust a 50-year-old piece of leather. I've actually seen them break very easily. So um, for those of you who are shooting a camera that doesn't even have strap lugs um, and you don't have the original case, you don't want to use it, what's your solution? Just don't do it? Or has anybody ever tried the, the tripod socket thing? I was just going to say that the... The, the 1960s Voigtlanders are notorious for not having camera strap attachments. They don't have lugs. They were meant to be used with the EverReady case. So I keep a number of wrist straps on those tripod lugs. They work fantastic. I once had a wife who uh, was carrying my Bronica with a strap screwed into the tripod socket when it came loose. And it went down a flight of concrete stairs. Uh, about two thirds of the way down, the, the waist level finder opened and the next landing was on top of the waist level finder, which crushed it. And that was the last time I've used a, a, a strap in a tripod socket. That's quite a heavy camera pull because uh, the, I, I tend to use them on the more, you know, like the folders, um, like Anthony mentioned, um, the folders or the, um, the small compact cameras with a wrist strap. Yeah, the problem was that Bronica at that time used a proprietary connector and I didn't have the strap. Right. You know, so I the only option was a wrist strap that went into the uh, tripod socket. Nowadays you've got the Black Rapids and the various other straps that that also use a single connector but they're they're a lot more secure. Did you say that was a previous wife or did Yeah. Is yes. that <laughs> uh, It okay. had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> So besides Anthony, can somebody name 
a 35 millimeter camera with removable strap lugs. Can anybody think of one? Good question. Ooh. All right, Anthony. Ansco, Ansco Mark M. Yeah. Oh. So, so Rico made this camera. This is called the Ansco Mark M. And I, there is actually one other Rico camera that uses the same system, but the strap lugs are actually removable. They have a half, it's, it's like a circle and one half of it's red, one half of it's um, blue and you rotate it. And mm. when it's pointing to the blue side, it's secure to the camera. When it's um, pointing to the red, or I, I think it's the other way around. I might have it backwards because I don't have mine connected. But one way it's connected to the body, you rotate it the opposite direction, you could pop the thing out. Um, and it's it's harder than it sounds. It's it's not going to come accidentally. But I guess their thinking was that you might be able to to swap or something. I, I don't really know the logic behind it, but it's kind of one of those neat features that somebody thought up once before. And I don't know that it ever really caught on. But um, I, to my knowledge, this one is the only camera, and it's just a really cool camera. We've talked about this one before. It's a Raymond Lowry camera. A uh, very very distinct. Looks like a car, an American automobile car, even. The exposure counter kind of looks like something you see on an automobile dashboard, uh, but it has removable strap lugs. You know, I just shot a roll through mine last week and, you know, it's such a cool camera. It weighs a ton. Sure. Um, it, it looks a bit like an old hi-fi console, but yeah. for what I, and it's got the most crazy array of, of, of frame lines in the finder. Yeah. But They're color coded. I, yep. Color coded. But what I yep. do not understand about that camera for all of its crazy high design, the lens Every single lens, it doesn't matter whether it's the 35, the 50, or the little 100, the longer lens. I don't think yeah, it's 135. Think so. uh -huh. They all protrude into about a third of the viewfinder. You think that one of the lenses wouldn't, but they all do. Yeah. Did they make an auxiliary finder? It's got a hot shoe. So, I mean, you probably could yeah. mount one, but I don't think they made an official one. No, I, I, just, I just never had a camera where there wasn't a single lens that it didn't yeah. knock out like a third yeah, you're of right. the viewfinder. I'm looking, I wouldn't quite say a third, but it's definitely a good portion of it. Oh, put now, the other two lenses on there and it's yeah, a third. <laughs> that's true. I have the one nine currently. By far, though, the, the worst offender of that is the Yashica Lynx 14. That lens covers like half the viewfinder. I've got, a, I've got a. Um, since we talked about lugs, I've got a question on that. I've, um, I've purposely not mentioned um, because I've mentioned it in so many other episodes. I'm not going to go down that path now. The Mamiya Seven. That, that's, that's one I've got the strap on every time. I think everyone knows that's my favorite camera, and that's, that's always going to have a strap on it. But the one thing that does actually annoy me a little bit is the lug the, on my model. The lugs are actually on the side. They're not from you know, left and right, they're all on the one side. So the, the camera hangs in portrait mode um, when you put it around your neck. There's a few cameras that have done that, but it annoys the crap out of me because it's not convenient. And then when you hold it up, the straps actually sort of rubs against your nose and things like that. Um, what do people think about cameras that went down that path of actually having the lugs on the side? Didn't the Leica M5 do that? Correct. There were two versions of the M5. There's a two lug and a three lug. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you could choose on yeah. three lug. Yeah, but the the Plabelle that I showed a picture of earlier, it's like that, Theo. It's it's uh, it's on on one edge, and and I'm used to it. Actually, if I carry it over my shoulder, it's more convenient, I think, than it is the other way. But what you say is, I, it is. You're right. I mean, it's not it's not comfortable when you're shooting with it. Yeah. No. Not so bad to carry it, but it's not very good when you're bringing it up to your eye. 
There's a fairly uncommon Soviet camera uh, called the Lomo Voskhod, um, which has the strap lugs on one side. And it's kind of a strange, it's a full frame 35 millimeter camera, but it's almost built to be used exclusively in portrait orientation. Um, so you have the strap lugs on one side, it kind of hangs straight down, even the way the viewfinder is and where the shutter release is, it's very natural to just hold the camera up to your eye and porch. You can still use it uh, landscape as well, but that's another camera where I think they were kind of experimenting with what if we made a camera that was meant to hang the other way. Um, I don't know that there's a practical benefit other than making portrait shots easier, but um, yeah, I don't know. One more uh, regarding tripod sockets. Um, Anthony, your camera that you have yet to replace is the Agat 18 and the 18K. Um, that's a camera which the strap that it came with is actually screwed into the strap to the tripod socket already. So like you may not realize that camera even has a tripod socket because it's not obvious that the strap comes off, but you can actually just unscrew it. On, on, on one hand, I never realized that. On the other hand, that's the last camera I would ever put right. on a tripod. <laughs> it's like, it like weighs like 100 grams. It's all plastic. It feels like a toy. We've talked about it before, but the Agat, Agat, whatever, um, for how cheap it feels and looks, it, it actually makes really nice images. All right. Um, I think it's a good time to kind of wind down. Uh, one thing I did want to point out, uh, a bit of errata from the digital episode. Um, there was one thing that I, I messed up on. We were talking about the sensors and I had mentioned how um, we were talking about Fuji with the Super CCD. Um, and I had said that they had added a fourth color um, and I actually had that backwards. Fuji didn't add a color, it was Sony who did that. So the DSC F828, that camera that you could do the infrared with the magnet, their sensor had a fourth color, which you know supposedly made more accurate colors. But Fuji changed the arrangement of the pixels and made some larger than others um, to, to help emphasize certain colors over something else. I, I don't have the technical understanding of what they did differently, but I said that wrong. Um, the, the topic of CCD versus CMOS sensors seemed to strike a nerve with quite a few people, as it always seems to have. Um, we had commented on it. Some people feel as though the CCD sensors have better color than the CMOSs do. Some people disprove that. Other people swear by it. Um, it's still a contentious topic that I think don't will ever go away. Uh, certainly, whatever technical difference there might be between the two sensors, I'm sure you could compensate for in post-processing, especially with RAW. So it's probably a moot point. Um, and then there was another point. Um, I think we kind of didn't, we didn't get it wrong, but we didn't explain it fully. But um, C, CCD sensors were almost exclusively APS-C crop sensor sensors. Um, there were only two exceptions to that. Um, and it was Paul, what was his name? Paul Chamber had pointed out that only the Leica M9 and the Contax N digital SLR are the only two full frame SLR digital cameras that um, had a CCD sensor. So uh, Paul, hopefully you're listening to this episode. I fixed it for you there. So uh, uh, that's my errata from the last episode. But um, you, you know, Mike, the, we had so many brittle comments about that digital show. I think we need to tread lightly before we reintroduce more digital cameras into the, uh, the topic stream. You know, in our defense, though, from the very beginning of that show, we flat out admitted this was out of our element. So I think we did pretty good. The feedback, you're right. We have gotten a lot of 
uh, contentious comments, brittle comments. Um, overall, though, I thought the feedback was pretty positive. That show, um, as the last few episodes of this co- podcast have done, has done really, really well. Um, the Paul, Anthony, Theo, and I, you know, we talk often throughout the week, you know, when we're not recording and we're always blown away by um, the feedback you guys give us. So we really do appreciate all the feedback. We love all the new listeners. Uh, for the first, you know, 20, 30 episodes of the show, we were getting a lot of engagement on Facebook, which we still are, but we're starting to see people commenting um, that have joined us, found us other through other channels, people that aren't on Facebook. Um, Paul, wasn't one of our episodes, the West Loader episode mentioned in a uh, prominent collector's group? Yeah, the, the Photographic Society of New England, FISNI, gave a shout out to Wes uh, and the podcast. It was one of the earlier episodes. I want sure. to get these guys, uh, make them aware of, of what we're yeah. doing today. But I uh, just wanted to say thanks. Bill's still here. Mark, Patrick, uh, Alex um, are the only ones left. Everybody else has dropped off. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to ask or, or say before you go? Wish me luck. I got a pinhole camera as a gift recently. It would be my first foray nice. doing a pinhole. So I'm looking forward to it. A real a real man would handhold that, I'm, I think. <laughs> Oh, the, the camera we thought was going to come up a whole bunch and not a single person has said it is either the FM2 or the FM3. So when I saw Bill had joined, I thought for sure he would mention that. But um, we've had a couple episodes where those two cameras come up. I know Hong is a huge fan of the FM3. A couple other people have, have mentioned that that's one of their favorites. So it looks like Mark might be going to get one. But uh, we, we had really thought that the FM2s would, would come up as a uh, popular camera. Well, in my defense, I do own a couple of them and an FM3, but I just find I've been reaching for the F2 of late because of, A, it's a system camera, so you can kind of pimp it out your way with, you know, focusing screens, diopters if you need them. I need them for farsightedness. And again, it's like you can pretty much use any lens on it. And you you can use them in stop down if you're in a pinch. Whereas you can't do that with an FM3 or an FM2 for that matter. Bad things will happen if you put a pre-AI lens on. That'll end in tears and regret. (laughs) Well, thanks you guys for coming. As always, we really appreciate you guys for joining us, helping steer the discussions. Honest to God, even though we called this cameras with a strap, I never imagined we would spend as much time talking about actual straps. Uh, I thought that added an element of of spontaneity uh, and kind of made the episode go in directions we hadn't planned, which I love. It's called nerdiness. Um, We are the nerdiest film (laughs) photography podcast, and now we love our straps. We haven't quite yet decided on a topic for the next show, but we have been having an itch for a Kanaka episode. I've been wanting to do a Yashika episode. We've heard a lot of people asking about something regarding half frames. People have asked about panoramics. Um, There's so many topics. Don't know what it's going to be, but we'll certainly let you all know when we have the next show announcement, which is usually posted a couple days before the show. If you're going to do Kanaka, would Connie Omega count? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I I, I can't wait to do two hours about my contacts ST. The context SD, yeah. Half frames. All right. Mark Faulkner's voting for half frames. Yes. We do need to explore Zeiss a little bit more, but the problem with Zeiss is uh, we could do a dozen episodes devoted to Zeiss and still not cover everything. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll use that to talk more about my Holocon. And I still want to do a Kodak show. We want to do a Kodak show. We want Kodak, to get Todd Gustafson. Absolutely. 
We had Todd Gustafson on one of the episodes before. He's one of the curators at the George Eastman House. Um, We'd love to get him back. We've had Robert Shanebrook on a couple times. There's just so much, you know, we've done, this is the 47th episode and I feel like there's just still so many things we could cover. So stay tuned. All right, everybody have a good night. Thank you for coming. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thank you. I think that um, discussion of BDSM uh, straps kind of kicked <laughs> my cough. So <laughs> the nanny chip kicked in. <laughs> so, um, so we do have lost uh, Mike, hopefully temporarily. Mike says he got kicked out. Are we still there? And uh, I'm going to say, screw you. I'm back. I got kicked out. Screw you. We didn't know we triggered the safe word. The NSA is everywhere. Screw you.